Father in heaven, we just live in a society that seems to deny death. Many people are utterly unprepared when the moment of death suddenly arrives. And I ask you that you give us a great wisdom about the uh, transitory nature of life, how we transfer this life to the next. We know that, God, that days pass so quickly. I ask, Father God, you enable us to see our lives as a gift uh, of time from you. Enable us to, to, to use that time responsibly. And most important, Lord, enable us to see the, the importance of salvation in Jesus Christ. For without Christ, none of this is possible. We can never look forward to heaven. And we praise you, Father, for the salvation you've provided for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning is called The Real Eternal Realities of Heaven. In that great classic, The Wizard of Oz, uh, there is a memorable scene where Dorothy closes her eyes, clicks her heels, and utters these famous words. Where are they, church? There's no place like home. There's no place like home, right? I don't know what your memories are of, a, of home is, but the idea of home, which satisfies your deepest emotions being at home, home is where you belong. Home is where you're loved, where you can be yourself. Home is comfortable, and home reflects you. When home is right and good, there is something warm and secure about it. For believers, heaven is our ultimate home. Amen? And as uh, the old hymn reminds us that this world is not our home, we're only passing through. Only passing through. God has literally been preparing our home for us. It is called heaven. And it will be a place beyond our wildest imaginations. But let's be honest. It's, it's a home we've never seen. And there are a lot of unknown things about the future home. If someone gives you a gift uh, you've never seen, how do you really know if the gift will be as good as they tell you it is? Now, there's only one way to know, and it's based on trustworthiness of a person giving the gift. What is the track record of that person? What is the track record of that person? Do they have a history of telling the truth and delivering on their promises? Though we've never seen or experienced heaven yet, we can have the full confidence about this great gift because of the trustworthiness of the one who is giving it to us. God has a long track record of telling the truth and deliberately, exceedingly, and abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. So this entire physical universe was created for God's glory. But humanity rebelled, right? And the universe fell under the weight of our sin. Yet the serpent's seduction of Adam and Eve didn't catch God by surprise. He had a place. He had a place and a plan by which he would redeem mankind and all of creation from sin, from corruption, and death. Just as he promises to make men and women new, he promises to renew the earth itself. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Many other scriptures allude to the, to the new heavens and the new earth without using those terms. God's redemptive plan climax not at the return of Christ, nor at the millennium kingdom, but on earth. Only when all wrongs are made right, only when there will be no more death, crying and pain. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And consider this. God's plan was, was merely to make mankind to the present heaven or the, or the next heaven that's coming, but that, that the dwelling place of the Spirit begins. There will be no more need for a new heaven and a new earth. Now, here's the question I have for you. Why does God fashion the stars of the heavens and the continents, continents of the earth? You know what? God could just destroy everything. You know, he can destroy it, his original creation, just get rid of it and put it behind him and start all over again. But he won't do that. Upon creating the heavens and the earth, he called them very good in Genesis chapter 1. He isn't about to abandon his creation. He's going to restore it. Rather than God will bring earth and heaven together into the same dimension, that's what he's going to do. He's going to bring those two together, heaven and earth together. There'll be no more wall of separation. No more armored angels to guard heaven's uh, perfection from sinful mankind. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Call this God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan is this, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Christ died not merely to make the best of a bad situation. He died so that mankind, the earth, and the universe itself would be renewed to forever proclaim his, his glory. Last week, we looked at uh, the reality of hell. So today, we're going to look at the reality of heaven. Amen. That's a good one. Amen? It should be... Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. The realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's hand in the place of honor and power. We're going to look at some questions this morning. What is heaven? Where is this place at? What is heaven like? How about my rewards? What's, all, what's, what's going on with that? How about my responsibilities? First, the Old Testament word rendered heaven in our English translations is the Hebrew word shemaliam. In the Greek Testament or New Testament, as well as the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the word translated is huranios. Say that, huranios. Both words carry three primary meanings with the other nuances that is possible. And this is what it says here. The first meaning of this word is, of heaven is what we might call the sky and the atmosphere. And this is the air around us in which we find clouds, we find birds, the wind. Uh, the Bible refers to the birds of heaven in 1 Kings chapter 21, 24. The rain from heaven, Acts chapter 14, verse 17. Also the snow. Isaiah 51.10, 1 
the wind, Psalm 78, 26, clouds, Psalms 147, verse 8. You have thunder, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, and then you have hail coming from heaven, Revelation chapter 16, verse 21. The second meaning is the expanse in which the celestial bodies are located, including the sun, the moon, I believe the planets and the stars. And then passages such as Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 and 16, Jeremiah 35, 25, and Hebrews 11, uh, verse 12, illustrate this use. The third meaning of heaven is God's abode, is where he's hanging out at, okay? That's where he's at. The place where God reigns, from which he governs the whole universe. Now, I know there's a lot of verses here, um, but you can go online and check them out, okay? So anyways, moving forward. The Apostle Paul speaks of the third heaven, or the sense of heaven, as appropriately enough. The third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 4, the writers of Hebrews calls it heaven itself. And that's a place of God's presence. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. And then Paul refers to the same thing using this plural form, and the word is which is translated the heavenly places. And you'll find that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, uh, verse 20, 20, I believe, and uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Now, question. What is heaven? What is heaven, church? The Bible tells us it's where God lives and rules. This is number one. It's where God lives and rules. In the book of Genesis, heaven seems to be something more, something even higher than the stars. The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven, Genesis chapter 26, verse 11 and 15. The Lord is to be said, the God of heaven, Genesis 24, verse 3 and 7, and Surely God does not live among the clouds of the stars. He's not hanging out there. But heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain God. First Kings chapter 8, verse 27. Deuteronomy confirms that heaven is indeed something more. Calling on God to look down from your holy habitation from heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 15. Solomon in this prayer of dedication at the temple. And First Kings says to the Lord, listen. He says, listen in heaven, your dwelling place. First Kings chapter 8, verse 30. Jesus prays to our Father in heaven, Matthew 6, 9. And it was a voice. It was a voice from heaven that validated him at the launch of his public ministry, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus called himself, he who descended from heaven. He who descended from heaven, John chapter 3, verse 13. And of course, it was up into heaven that he was taken into his ascension. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. 31 times, 31 times Jesus called it the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in Psalms chapter 23, verse 1, Lord, I look up to you, up to heaven, where you rule. The Bible tells us it's where God lives and rules. Number two, 
Guess what? It's a real place. Say, church, it's a real place. Absolutely. We talked about this last week. It's not a state of mind. It's not a state of being. It's not some disembodied condition where you're going to float around with, without your body. In fact, the Bible says that in heaven there are streets, there's trees, there's waters, buildings, and in all likelihoods there's going to be some animals there. Uh, Jesus said, remember, all dogs go to heaven. Is that correct? All right. My dog's going to be in heaven. I don't know about your dog, but my dog's going to be in heaven. John chapter 14, verse 2. There are many rooms in my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I'd tell you plainly. Now, here's the real thing. Heaven's a real place, right? It's where God lives. And it's, it's a real place. And number three, heaven was designed for us. It was designed for us. He, it was designed for you and me. So basically, for us. This was an amazing thing that God did. You know, he sustains us on this earth. He made the earth. And that's great. We live in it. We're sustained by him. But he designed heaven, not for himself, but for us to be with him. The Bible says, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. Matthew 25, verse 34. Heaven was prepared for you, and it was prepared for you from the foundations, from the beginning of creation of the world. The Old Testament also says, and Jesus openly states this, heaven is also the future abode of the redeemed. That's us. Christ tells his soon-to-be uh, persecuted followers, he tells them this, the disciples. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. Many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. To go to heaven is to enter life. Enter life. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. And to enter the joy of our Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Paul says, we have a building... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Even now, in the already, our citizenship, where's our citizenship, church? It's in heaven, right? It's in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Peter tells Christians they have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven just for you and me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Believers rightly look forward to this day in this tent in our bodies. We have a tent. Some people have bigger tents. Some people have small tents. Okay? So we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2. That dwelling will itself be physical. It's going to be physical. Physical because we're promised a resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 and 44. You're going to spend 80 years on this planet, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but you're going to spend trillions and upon trillions and gazillions to infinity and beyond. Toy Story, my best shot. You're going to live in eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us 
into his own family by bringing us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. And this gave him, that's God, great pleasure. You were planned for God's pleasure, church. There's a word for God's family found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy 3.15, it's called God's family is the church. It's us. The church is the only thing that's going to last. One day, the earth is going to burn up. And the only thing that's going to last is people who are part of God's family, who have been chosen to be a part of his family in faith and obedience. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. God has reserved a priceless inheritance. That's heaven. A priceless inheritance for his children. And it is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Question. So what is heaven again? It's a place. It's, he's preparing his family. And by the way, another analogy in Scripture the Bible calls it the church of the bride of Christ, right? We are the bride of Christ. It's like he's saying, I'm preparing this place for my bride. That's what God is saying. I want to give you the best. I want to give her the best. He says, my bride, this is what I'm preparing you for to spend eternity with me. God is saying that to us. The Bible says this. This is God's purpose, that when the time is ripe, he will gather us all together from wherever we are in heaven. Those who have already died or on earth and those who haven't yet died yet to be with him in Christ forever. Ephesians 1.10. Notice what it says, forever. You are made to last forever and never die. And so the implication is you're going to last forever in one or two places. You can enter uh, God's kingdom through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and it's a gate that's really wide. For many of those who choose that way, that leads to destruction. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. You get to choose. I get to choose. You get to choose. Which door you're going to go into or out of? You're going to be going my way, or you're going to be going God's way? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 says, for this world is not our home. We're looking forward to our city, our city in heaven, which is yet to come. And God says, your ultimate home is in heaven. That's what heaven is. It's a real place. It's where God lives, and it was designed, designed for us. And the question is, is this, where is heaven? Where is heaven, Pastor Joey? I'll tell you in a second. Where is heaven? 1 Kings 8. I love this. 1 Kings 8. This chapter gives us some helpful insights on the nature of heaven as a place where God abides in. If you look at 1 Kings 8, verse 30 and 49, declares that heaven is God's dwelling place. And repeatedly throughout this chapter, Solomon says this, and he implores God to hear in heaven. So the petitions of his people, verses 30 through 36, verse 39, 
and 43. And yet, and yet Solomon, speaking of the exalted house, he built for God to dwell in forever. Verse 13, acknowledging in the verse 27 that God actually transcends heaven itself. He transcends heaven itself. But will God indeed dwell on the earth is the question. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Verse 27. The point is, church, we should not think or conceive of heaven as, as some location, okay? In some location in, in, in the skies somewhere up there. Or maybe perhaps it's partitioned off, which it's not. Partitioned off in an area of space that can't not contain or house God. He cannot be contained. For this would contradict the biblical truth of denying omnipresence and transcendence. God, he's being omnipresent, which is what? Is everywhere present. That's what he is. He's everywhere present, all the time, all at once. And in a way, that completely outstrips our understanding. You know what? God exists above and beyond all things. So, so whatever, including even the third heaven, although God is, is his uh, omnipresence, it fills, so to speak, not only earth, but even heaven itself. Jeremiah 23, verse 24. They in no way limit or circumscribe our Lord God. So when we speak of God's dwelling in heaven, we should understand heaven as that location in which God directly, this is what he does, he directly manifests his presence in which he reigns to, to this phenomenal degree and the place, in other words, where God's will is done completely. Matthew 6, verse 10. And at the same time, heaven is the place that includes what? Angels. It includes the resurrected Jesus and on the saints who have died and, and abide in his presence and are waiting, absolutely waiting for the resurrection, resurrection of their bodies. Here's the next question. I believe it's number three. So what is heaven like? What is it like? You know, some people say we know very little about heaven or perhaps nothing about what heaven is like. They say scripture says very little on the topic, and what little it does, they cannot be literally saying that or what it means. Scripture tells us a great deal about heaven and the afterlife. Anyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear will find in the pages of Scripture, I would say, an abundance of information about our wondrous destiny. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 for example, in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Perhaps the most descriptive, uh, elaborate description of heaven or the heavenly city is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen? We are told that the new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven, where Jesus has constructed it, and it will rest. It will rest on the new earth. It's going to come down. Divine city comes down to the earth, and we are sure that the dwelling place of God is with man. The city, the city is not symbolic. You know, it's not some kind of spiritual twilight zone where, you know, where believers somehow float around in the clouds. Rather, New Jerusalem is a literal city. It's a real place where real resurrected people and the holy God are going to be together. A city has residence. It has means of transportation. It has government. It's bustling with activity, various kinds of gatherings, and much, much more. Every description we have in the Bible tells us this is a real place of residence. This makes sense in view of the fact that you and I have eternal and physical resurrections in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 55. People like you and I with physical, with physical bodies must live in a physical place, right? And that physical place would be the new Jerusalem. The Bible says in Job chapter 11, verse 9, can you understand, i said say it again, can you understand the mystery surrounding God Almighty? The, they are higher than the heavens and deeper than the grave. So what can you do when you know so little? And these mysteries, mysteries outreach the earth and the ocean. Even the things I'm going to share with you today are just a pale explanation of what heaven is like. But the Bible does give us some important information on heaven. So the first thing that's not going to be in heaven is A, sickness. Amen? No sickness in heaven. The Bible says there won't be any sickness in heaven. Why? Because you're going to have a new perfect body, right? Y'all seen the energized bunny rabbit on TV? He's banging away on the bass drum. He's a little pink bunny, okay? He keeps on going and going and going. But, of course, batteries don't last forever, right? The energy begins to deplete, and the bunny will go slower and slower until it stops altogether. I've never seen him stop. I see him always going. But he does stop. We find a metaphor here for the human body. You know what? When we're pretty young, young like a teenager, we feel we can just do about anything. We can go any place, okay? As we age, however, things begin to slow down a little bit, right? And eventually, guess what? We stop all together. We just stop. And then eventually, we die. That's messed up, but that's what happens. So if you're in your, if you're in your high 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, or beyond, 
You might think back to those, to those things you used to be able to do so easily when you were a teenager, right? You hop a fence, jump down the stairs, you know, run uphill without uh, getting too wind. You know, if I was to jump down my stairs, I live on top, uh, you have to call 911. I'll be in my face. You know, that'll hurt. Those were the days, right? You can just about anything. Even if we eat well, we got to eat well, though, and we take care of our bodies. We do that, well, they still progressively get, become weaker, right? It happens to all of us, church. So the likelihood of developing illness, guess what? Also increases as we age. You've got heart disease, you've got high blood pressure, you've got kidney problems, diabetes, and the list goes on. The good news that puts all this into perspective is that you and I as believers will one day receive body upgrades. I love body upgrades. That's what I'm talking about, body upgrades. In other words, one day you and I will receive resurrection bodies that will never grow old, never deteriorate, never get sick, and never lack strength. Energy, energy will never wane out. Health will never be absent. Think about that. That's heaven. Our perfect resurrection bodies will know no limitations. There will only be eternal vitality. Doctors, dentists, they're gone. They don't work there anymore. They're gone. I just went to the, I got a call from the dentist she goes, can you come next week? That's, this is, uh, on, on Friday, she calls me. I was getting ready to go to the dentist. Our, our doctor's having, giving surgery. So praise God, I don't have to go to another week because I had a root canal. I don't like root canals. They're painful. All right, what was that? Wondrous upgrade. Our body's upgrades will be imperishable. Say imperishable, church. That means that the, all liability, all liability to disease and death will be forever, what, gone. It's going to be gone. Never again will we have to worry about infections or passing away. That seem, that second thing that, that is not going to be in heaven, church, the second thing that's not going to be in heaven is this, no sadness. No sadness. It's going to be gone. The Bible says, God will wipe every tear from your eyes. Eyes, not just one eye, two eyes, right? He keeps a record of it. Your, your tears, your, your pain, God knows about. He cares about. But when, you're, when you get to heaven, there's going to be what? No more sadness. That's a good thing. No more broken hearts. That's a good thing. No more rejection. No loneliness. No sorrow. No sadness, no grief, no heartache. That's, that's heaven. There will never be a split second in the billions and trillions of trillions of years you'll, you'll live that you will have sadness or grief again. It'll be gone. No grief, no sadness, no depression, no anxiety, no fear, no meds. It's all gone. Maybe you can go home now. Tell God. Not only is there no sickness, no sadness, and the Bible says this, no suffering. No suffering. Say, church, no suffering. 
no sickness, and no sadness. No suffering. No more hunger. No more thirst. No more scorching heat. Everyone, everything, every one of your needs will be satisfied. Okay, let's put it that way. It's going to be satisfied. Not only that, but no suffering, sadness. But the thing, the next thing is D. I love this one. It's called <clears throat> no sin. Say no sin, church. No sin. That's the one I want to get rid of. I hate that. The Bible says God will bring you into his glorious presence in the sin of all sin and with great joy. There's joy again. Jude chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. Heaven is a perfect place. And I'm not perfect, neither are you. So God has to come up with a solution, right? Because there's no way of getting in. We all have sin. All have fallen short. We're all sinners, right? How can God let imperfect people into heaven without messing it up? That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to do this, to die on the cross, to pay for all his sins, to wipe it out, literally wipe it out, to forgive us and to make us perfect inside. One of the things that is going to happen is when you see Jesus Christ, Face to face, the Bible says your character will be instantly changed to be like him. Your character. It's still going to be you, right? People are going to recognize it's you. You'll still be, you'll still have your personality. Okay, I still have my personality. Kind of goofy, but I'll have it. I got to think about that. God will not waste what he puts into you. God isn't going to take what he, he's made you to be and then turn it into some kind of, what, robot in heaven. That's not going to be the case. Can you imagine what it would be like living up in heaven? There's no fear. There's no guilt. There's no resentment. There's no worry or bitterness. There's no more anger, no more envy, no more jealousy, no more loneliness. Perfection, church. Perfection. Think about that. It's hard to think that way. But that's what's going to happen. And E, no death. Say, church, no death. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. We are told that God will swallow up death. He's going to swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe every tear of your faces. And I like how the Hebrew play on words on, the, on this verse. The ancient Jews often spoke of death as swallowing up the living, almost like a big old mouth opening up in the ground to devour people into the grave. But God promises that one day he will reverse things. He's going to reverse things so that death itself will be swallowed up. When that happens, death will be gone forever, church, gone. The apostle Paul himself, an Old Testament scholar that he is, who is well aware of Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, he applied this truth to our future resurrection bodies. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, remember that? And, and the mortal puts on immortality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. Also, if you look at Isaiah, going back to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. And Isaiah 25, 8 promises that the Lord God will what? Wipe away all the tears of the face. Revelation 21, 4, besides wiping it, no more tears, neither there should be no mourning, no crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. We're in for a big bonus change, church. 
Those of us who watch evening TV or on the internet, you receive you know, regular reports like there's a storm, there's, a, there's snow, there's people dying from tornadoes, there's death. Never again, you're going to hear that death thing. But in heaven, all is life. It's all life. It's more life in heaven. We will never get, we will never again be alerted to a sudden deathly accident of someone who we love or, or one of our friends. No one will ever succumb to an incurable disease. We will never again attend funeral services. No more hearses. We will never again have to say a final farewell to our loved ones. Never again. Death is messed up. God's going to make it right. We are headed for a glorious, deathless environment. Deathless environment, church. Those are the things you won't find in heaven. Now, here's the things you will find in heaven. The first thing you're going to find in heaven is number Roman numeral number one. I call this reunion with every other believer. Reunion with every other believer. There's going to be a reunion, church. We're all going to be coming together. There's going to be a party happening, okay? A party. This is God's purpose that when the time is right, he will gather us all together. From whatever we are to be with him in Christ forever. That's what's going to happen. Question, who's going to be up there? Who's going to be in heaven is question four. Good question. Who's going to be in heaven? Well, we got the Father, right? We got the Son. We got the Holy Spirit. We got the angels. The church is going to be there in heaven. Everybody who's put their trust in Christ and all believers who were, believe, who were believers in God before even Christ came in the Old Testament, we look back to the Messiah. They look forward to the Messiah. The people in the Old Testament were saved the same way people are saved today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Hebrews 12, 22 says this. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the gathering. Notice that all the people he's mentioned of countless happy angels and the church, every believer, composed of all those who, who registered in heaven and God. Obviously, God's going to be there who is the judge of all and the spirit of righteousness, righteousness, people made perfect. I love that, people made perfect. One of the most common questions that I hear is about babies. What's going to happen with babies when babies die? I believe they're going to be in heaven, little ones. I'm talking about little ones. I'm talking about there's been an estimate 62 million babies who have been aborted in America. 62. I got this from uh, a couple of days ago. Um, back in 19, uh, 2010, it was like 35, 35, 35 million. It's gone up. It's gone up. Why? Because every single one of them are going to heaven. Every single one of them. Because, you know, the, babies aren't responsible. They, they don't understand. The same is true of a child who grows up to be a full adult but does not have the mental capacity to understand the love of Jesus Christ. David had a child. Remember that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23? 
about his baby dying. Now that the baby's dead, I'll bring him back to life, but I can't do that, but I'll meet with him again. If you had a miscarriage, that baby's in heaven. If you've lost a little one, that baby's in heaven. That child's in heaven. If you have, if you ever had a mentally retarded child that cannot understand the difference, that child will be in heaven. The Bible says they're going to be saved. So the first thing we're going to do to have in heaven is that we're going to have a reunion, right? Reunion. And then we're going to have the love of the family of God. And the second thing on your outline is Roman numeral number two. The second thing is we're going to have rewards. Rewards. I like that. You're going to be rewarded. Everything, literally everything. The Bible makes it very clear that God is watching everything Pastor Joey does and what you do in your life. You'll be rewarded for your actions that were, were good, right? You'll be rewarded for your words that were good, for your thoughts that were good, your character, your decisions that were good, for your prayers, for your generosity, your service and your sacrifices. Question, should we be excited? Church, should we be excited that God will reward us by making us ruler in his kingdom? Think about it. Jesus said this, rejoice and be glad because great is your, is your reward in heaven. I'm talking great. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. God will choose who reigns as kings. And I think some great scriptures and surprises, you know, I'm going to share with you. Great things are going to be in store for us. Christ gives us a clue in scripture. As the type of person he will choose. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of person that Jesus is going to look for become a king. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's another one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that you may lift you up in due time. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Look around you. Look around to see meek and, and the humble. We see them all around, right? Every day. They may be a bus driver. They may be a, a, a construction workers, lawyers, accountants. Mechanics, caretakers, those who are caring for their family. Moms, stay-at-home moms who spend time and time taking care of diapers and cooking and dinner and all that stuff. Those people. The Bible says that you will be rewarded for putting up with criticism for being a Christian. That you will be rewarded for being persecuted as a believer. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven for so, perse for so persecuted that they, the prophets, which were before you. The third thing, Roman numeral number three, the third thing there's going to be in heaven is responsibilities responsibilities. You're not going to be sitting around in a cloud church doing nothing in heaven. That's not, you could 
you might be able to do that, but not really. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, that's one of the reasons why people don't like heaven. You know, because they think heaven's going to be really boring. All right, they got nothing to do. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? No, no. God is the one who wired you. Right? He knows what your interests are. He knows what your hobbies are. Where do you think you got your skills from? Okay, your talents. What do you think you got your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality and experiences? What do they, where do they come from? They came from God. The list goes on of all the things he gives people. You have work in eternity. Work is a bad word here on earth, but work, up, work in the new kingdom is different. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. You're going to enjoy working. Come on, church. I don't know about you. If you have to work every day, I'll say, no more work, but I'm going to work in heaven. What is, what's the responsibility you're going to have? What is my role going to be in heaven, Pastor Joy? But Pastor, you're talking about responsibility. You know what those responsibilities you have, I'm going to have, Pastor Joy? Do you know what it is? Guess what? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. It's based on how faithful you are with roles and responsibilities. He gives you here on this earth. Think about that. Life is a test. We hear about that, all that cliche. It is. It's a bona fide test. It's a life is a trust. God put you on this earth to see how responsible, how dependable, how faithful, how trustworthy you are. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with it? If you make the most of what you've been given, God says, I'm going to give you more in heaven. Amen? And if you don't make the most of what you've been given, God's going to say, you're going to get less. You're going to make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth. There'll be a lot of folks by the skin of their teeth. But you're not going to have the rewards as those who are faithful and are serving God according to his him. Not what you want to do, but what God wants you to do. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. Unless you're faithful in small matters, we're talking about earth, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. He's talking about heaven. And if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, that's the money, the possessions God gives you here on this earth, and it says, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Did you know that the way you manage your money here on this earth is an acid test? Okay, it's an acid test of your faithfulness and, and responsibilities, and it's going to help determine what you do in heaven. Not only how you manage your money, God is watching how you manage your time how you manage your relationships, your health, how you manage your, your intelligence, your network, how you manage opportunities that come. And God says, if, if I can't trust you with worldly wealth, you're always in debt. You can't afford the tithe to keep the church going. You're not generous. That's what God says. What do you think I'm... Um, I'm going to trust you with in eternity if you're not doing those things. I can't trust you. We said there's reunion in heaven, amen? 
There's rewards in heaven. There's responsibility. Life is a test. It's preparation for eternity, and God is watching. He is watching every single decision you and I make and to see if we're faithful, if we're trustworthy. The fourth thing, sometimes I call it rest, okay? That's, it's called rest, R-E-S-E. I like rest, right? Rest in heaven. Only when it's done for Christ, it will last. Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. A rest. There will be reunion. There will be responsibilities. Um, reward. Rejoicing in heaven. Amen? Rejoicing, rejoicing in heaven. The, I call this the crown of rejoicing. The soul winner's crown. It's going to be given to those who win people for Christ. Who is our hope? Who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. This crown that I'm talking about symbolizes people to whom ministered to other people. They witnessed it, but they brought them to Christ. When we stand in the presence of Jesus at his royal coming, our hearts will be overflowed with, with, with pride and joy and exultation because of those who stand with us at the time, those who we had shared the gospel with and bringing them to the Savior. That's going to be great. That's going to be a thrilling ride for all eternity, living and enjoying with us the glorious presence, unspeakable delights of life in the kingdom of the Prince of Peace. Never, not everybody has the gift of evangelism, right? Not everybody can be a preacher or do that. But you know what? We're all called to witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. How long has it been since you shared the gospel, the good news, with a friend or a coworker? This crown is called the crown of rejoicing. Say that, church, the crown of rejoicing. Because heaven will be filled with rejoicing when we stand before the Lord with those who have come to Christ through our witness. Amen? Jesus said, when you get to heaven, I want to be able to say this to you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been faithful in handling these small amounts of things. So I'm going to give you more responsibilities. And let's party. Question five. So what I got to do? There's some things. If I'm going to go to heaven, this is how I should live my life. This is how I should be living this time frame. Don't be distracted by temptation. Simple. Don't be distracted by temptation. And again, I call this the incorruptible, imperishable crown. That's what I call it. Also known as the crown of ministry. It's a discipline crown. You master your body. This reward is for those who consistently practice self-control and, and they master the temptations that sins of the flesh. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then 
they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be, what, disqualified. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, excuse me. Our Lord loves greatly, values self-discipline and self-control over temptations. That's relating to our physical bodies. Remember, you're just passing through church, so you don't let those sins of the world catch you off guard. Just remember that. Peter says this, we're only visitors here on earth. Since your real home is in heaven, keep away from the evil pleasures of this world. They're not for you. They're not for you. They fight against you. They fight against your very souls. Be a believer who masters self-discipline, self-control over temptation, and ask God to give you the strength, the desire, the courage to delay self-gratification. Be be led by the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. And why? Don't be discouraged by trouble. Don't be discouraged by trouble. When you live in light of eternity, when you live in light of, of heaven, trouble just doesn't bother you as much anymore. Right? You, just don't, you, don't, you just don't give up. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. This is why we never give up. You know what these troubles and suffering of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last long. Let me tell you, the guy who wrote that, he's been beaten, shipwrecked, prisoned, uh, without food, without clothing. He's been persecuted. Uh, he's been left for dead. And he goes, he goes this, these are small troubles. It, it's all a matter of perspective here. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of, of distress will result in God's richest, richest blessings upon us when forever and ever in heaven. So we don't look at what we can see right now. The troubles are all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have yet to see. Amen? I don't know what trouble you're going through right now, but I will tell you this, it's not going to last. Even even if it lasts your entire lifetime, it's not going to last. Why? Because when I have problems, I know they they didn't come to stay. They're going to pass. And whenever you you cause it, or or maybe somebody else cause it, it's not important here. God will still use it for good in your life. And it'll help you to grow through it if you respond the right way. And it builds character. That's what it does. It's not going to last. It's going to be uh, built your character. And, and the next one, Z, rewarded for it in eternity forever. <laughs> rewarded for it in eternity forever. So many people, so many believers are going to enter heaven by the skin of their teeth. Right? With no rewards. Did you see the movie uh, Schindler's List? 
the guy who took the, uh, uh, he had a, there was a scene of Schindler's List uh, at the end of the movie, if you're seeing this, Schindler ha had a conversation about this, and he says, this is what he said, he says, what could have happened if I had done more? He's saying, he helped a lot of Jews, but he's saying, what could have happened if I'd done more? If I had spent less money on me and more money and more time on saving Jews who were being set to the, to the gas chamber. What could I have done, and why didn't I do more when I could have done it? It makes such a difference. Friends, that's the question you're going to ask when you go to heaven. You're not going to be in heaven for about two seconds or one before you'll be thinking, what was I thinking on earth? Why did I spend so much time on trying to impress people, to be popular, to pile up money and property and bunch of money on earth, and trying to get all I can out of life right here today? I had no time to serve God, no time to give to the church, no time to share, no, no time for relationships. I had no time for what really matters most. I was doing all the right things. Why didn't I make more time for what matters most? And friends, finally, you need to realize that every second of your life has eternal implications. Every second, every decision, every thought, Every action, every word, every attitude, every feeling, every kindness, every sin, every single thing has eternal implications. And you need to be asking, will it, will it last? Will it, is this going to last? Does it, uh, does it uh, deserve my money if I do this? Does it deserve my time? Does it deserve my reputation? Everything. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Church, say that. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. Let's stand up, church. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus.